Hello and you're all very welcome to the fourth episode of A Life in Politics. Joining me today is Fianna Fáil TD, Willie O'Dee. Willie is a former Minister for Defence and represents the Liberal constituency. So just to start, Willie, um, next year will mark 40 years since you were first elected to the Dáil. Does, does it feel like that length of time or has it flown by? Uh, no, it doesn't it does feel like it, actually. <laughs> it does feel like it. I think the first 20 years flew by, like, but, uh, you know, I, I, I certainly felt the last 20, so, yeah, it, 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 the first part of it flew by, but, I mean, I feel it now that I feel the last 20 years, you know. What do you think has changed in the last 20 years? Well, a lot of things have changed. I mean, the public have become very much more demanding. Uh, the, the introduction of, of the advent of social media, etc., uh, has created a certain immediacy just you know you're sort of uh, when I started out first you know somebody rang your office with a query and you had constituency clinics what we call clinics advice clinics I suppose at weekends and people come to see you with their problems now somebody can contact you 24-7 through Facebook or yeah. on the mobile phone or whatever so, so you know technology has brought a, a fierce has brought a, a great immediacy to the thing which has consequently increased the pressure on people who are you know in public life um, but do you think social media has had a positive impact on politics as well? positive impact in the sense that um, I often notice that on some big issues out there, like, you know, for example, at the moment, <clears throat> the lockdown, for example, I mean, the, 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 the national media have a certain line on this, and social media, it's completely different when you read, when you look at social media, and, you know, social media represents what people on the ground are thinking, and it's, I find it a little bit disturbing that, you know, that seems to be so out of line with what the national media are saying. But it has, in the sense that you know, when you when you when you when you check social media, you do get a feel for what people are thinking on various issues for which you have responsibility. Um, you were born and raised in Kiltealy, County Limerick. Um, what was your childhood like? My childhood was pretty happy. I was a we were farmers in Kiltealy, and I was the oldest of a family of six. And uh, you know, it was a it was, it was, it was fairly positive. Now, the only thing about it is that uh, when I was aged about twelve, um, I was packed off to boarding school. Yeah. That wasn't a particularly happy experience. I mean, boarding school in Ireland back in the sixties were rough enough places, you know. And uh, that was that was a negative, certainly. But uh, but my childhood at home was quite happy, of course. Um. So, what are your memories of going to um, school in Ballyfin? Yes, I went to school in Ballyfin. Yeah, that was tough. That was tough in those days. I mean, there was a lot less, a lot less freedom in boarding school then than there is now. You know, I mean, to said the, like, for example, you could only come home, you know, during the break at Christmas, Easter, or summer. Uh, I mean. People, there's much more flexibility now and people can literally go home at weekends, etc. That wasn't the case at all. There was a very strict, very strict disciplinarian regime there as well. So, you know, I mean, there's, there's pluses and minuses in that. But uh, it, was, it, was, it was tough enough, yeah. It's certainly tough enough, yeah. And um, when you were young, did you have any hobbies or things in particular you liked to do? Yeah, well, I like yeah, I liked I liked, uh, I liked playing hurling and 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 and, and uh, did a bit of boxing in my time, and uh, reading, of course, and uh, stuff like that. You know the usual. 
Um, any medals stand out? Uh, no, no, I was. <laughs> I was. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe I'd like to think to somebody would say I wasn't good enough to have many medals, but I like to think that the teams I was playing with weren't good enough to win. <laughs> you know, so I don't know. Not really, no. Um, after your time in Ballyfin, then you moved on to college in UCD, where right. you studied law. Would I be right in saying? I studied law, yeah, and I, 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 I did a professional. I did, uh, I did my degree and my master's degree in law at UCD, but simultaneously, yeah, with that, I did a professional exam to become a barrister. <clears throat> and um, I, yes, that is correct, yeah. And um, where did the interest in politics come from? Quite accidentally, really. I mean, my, 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 my late father was involved in politics. He was involved just with the local branch. He wasn't, he never stood for election or anything like that. Uh, I think where it came from was that in 1977, uh, Fianna Fáil had just gone into opposition after a long period in power. And they set up a sort of a think tank uh, to sort of develop new policies to hope to make a comeback in the next election. And... Uh, that was that was. I was asked to join that particular think tank uh, because because in my, uh, in my I did my master's degree on taxation, and uh, I know a good bit about taxation and taxation policies, etc. So I was asked to join that. And sort of an interest grew from there, you know. Uh, what did you do immediately after leaving college? After leaving college, I got a job with Price Waterhouse, the accountants in the in Dublin, in the tax department, and uh, I studied accountancy at night and uh, qualified as a certified accountant. And uh, then uh, after about four or five years with uh, Pricewaterhouse, um, I was offered a lectureship at UCD, a lectureship in the law department at UCD, which I took for less money, but much nicer job. And uh, I used to write for a number of newspapers like the Irish Press and the Sunday Independent on deal and taxation matters. And uh, ultimately then I, I was appointed to a senior lectureship out in the, the University of Limerick, which was sort of starting out at the time. And as you touched on there a minute ago, um, you worked as an accountant as well as a barrister. I did. Um, did you lose interest in these jobs that you went into politics? Oh, God, no. No, no, I still maintain a great interest and I keep up to date with all tax changes, etc., finance bill every year, and all the law cases of tax and company law. No, I didn't. I didn't actually lose interest. No, because I didn't get the opportunity to, to practice them as much as I would have if I hadn't been involved in politics. But I did. I did some practice. Yeah, I did some practice, and I did some lecturing even after I'd been elected to the all. But ultimately, I got too busy, so I had to sort of drop out from that. But no, I, I didn't. And I haven't lost interest in either of those things. I'm still keenly interested. Um, you first ran in 1981, then, um, but you're unsuccessful. Uh, what do you think changed the second time around that you were voted in? I think well, I ran, I ran in June of 81. I wasn't expecting to run that early. I mean, I was just focusing on my career, really. And um, yeah. what happened was that one of the one of our we had two seats in Limerick, Limerick East, as they called it at the time, the city and good part of the east part of the county. And uh, one of our TDs decided to stand down. And um, there was a number of people contending for the position, uh, you know, for the place on the ticket, including Pat Cox, who. You know, you might have heard of Pat Cox. He was secretary of the Limerick City College yeah. Council at the time. He went on to become president of the European Commission, but of uh, the European Council, but um, uh, the, uh, the European Parliament, sorry. But um, I, a number of the local branches, because I was sort of involved, uh, you know, my father had been involved and I had been involved in the think tank. They asked me to put my name before the convention. 
uh, there was two, we were running three candidates, there was two of them automatically, the outgoing minister, Des O'Malley, and the heir apparent to the outgoing deputy, fellow called Councillor Panotrasi, but there was a third place on the ticket, so a couple of local branches asked me to put my name forward, and uh, I did, and much to my absolute amazement, I was selected. And what are your memories of the first time being in the doll? Uh, sorry, I ran then, I ran then, uh, and I got a very good vote, almost made it, actually, much again to my amazement. And what happened then was that about eight months later, the government collapsed and uh, failed to get the budget through. And of course, I was a candidate again, and everybody was talking about this young guy who, you know, impressed everybody that he'd almost made it in his first time out. And uh, so several thousand more people decided to <laughs> to vote for me, and so I was duly elected. But from my memory, my, I was a bit bewildered, to be honest with you, and my first my first couple of months in the doll, there's all those rules and procedures up there and ways to ask questions and not to ask questions and ways to get in to speak and all that. And you had to learn all that. It was a learning experience, really. A, a, a learning curve. And the late Charles Hawhey was leader of Fianna Fáil at the time. What are your memories of him and why were you opposed to him? Well, my memories of him are pretty bad because, I mean, I... A lot of the rumours floating around Dublin at the time was that this guy was, you know, he wasn't quite straight, etc. And, uh, you know, I was getting that from fairly good authority, so I wasn't disposed to support him and uh, never did support him. And um, they, he didn't support me either. I, was, I stayed firmly on the backbenches while he was leader. But that, that's, that's, that's why I opposed him, because I probably because I knew too much about him. And then in 1992, you became a minister of state at the Department of Justice. Correct. Uh, yeah, Albert Reynolds, the former teacher, didn't he promote me a minister of state at the Department of Justice? Yeah, which was a very rewarding experience. There was a couple of things I wanted to do, with new, new procedures, criminal procedures, etc., particularly for people who had been the victims of young people, children, who have been victims of sexual abuse, etc., to enable them to give evidence uh, remotely rather than going into court and facing the, all the paraphernalia of the court. I managed to do that. Uh, wanted to uh, change the law on commercial tenancies. I managed to do that. Yeah, I got, I got two, five or six useful pieces of legislation during my first period as Minister of State, which only lasted, by the way, for about 18, 19 months because then that government fell. Yeah, um, then with the help of the Progressive Democrats in 1997, you were then appointed Minister of State at the Department of Education. Correct, yeah, I enjoy that very much because uh, I just I got responsibility for uh, the minister at the time with Michal Martin. He was dealing with all the big stuff, schools, etc. But I was given the brief to, to sort of re revitalise adult education, which I did. I mean, I set up an adult education board and I got a lot of extra money for adult education and, uh, you know, put it on a much more secure footing. And uh, I was also in charge of school buses and we changed some of the rules there to make the thing more flexible. Um, your third Minister of State position soon followed um, the Department of Justice this time. Yeah, I was back to justice again, which I was able to uh, continue some of the stuff that I had been doing earlier on. And uh, I enjoyed that because, you know, being a, being a lawyer and a law lecturer, I had an intimate knowledge of what I was, I knew exactly what I was talking about. Um, but after a cabinet reshuffle, then you became Minister for Defence, was surprised right. to become Minister... 
Yeah, complete change. Complete change. I mean, it was um, dealing with the army, which I have certainly no experience of in the past. But I mean, I got into it fairly quickly, and I, I had a great relationship with all the uh, the defence forces. And I always, you know, retain my memories of going abroad, where Irish troops were based in places like Chad in Africa, and uh, Liberia again in Africa, and uh, you know, we we set up the um, rapid response units, you know, to deal with situations where there was a threatened massacre, etc., at European level. And uh, I remember going to meetings and go visiting our troops where they were training for that particular operation, that type of operation up in up in Stockholm in Norway, in Nor- uh, Stockholm in Sweden. And uh, you know, it was it was it was it was a very interesting and and enlivening experience. No doubt about that. And I spent six years there. They were very happy years. And as I said, a great relationship with lots of very good friends in the army. Managed to promote some very good people. You know, uh, you know, to positions of responsibility within the army, who subsequently proved themselves. And as I say, I was really fascinated by the trips abroad. You know, just to see life on the ground in Africa and places like that, uh, Serbia as well. Um, in all the good things you did probably was slightly overshadowed in two thousand and five because of the picture of you holding a gun up to the camera. I know you said at the time that you had no intention to glamorise gun crime, but were you surprised at the reaction from the public to the photo? I was a bit. Well, well, the reaction was mixed. I mean, to say a lot of people, a lot of people were sort of uh, upset about it, but an awful lot of people thought it was uh, quite entertaining, you know. Yeah. And uh, so, so I mean, I got praise and blame in equal measure. And uh, but it was something that I, you know, basically what happened was that they had a, we had managed to get money from the government to buy a whole lot of new equipment. Uh, especially for the Rangers, the Army Rangers, and staying right here down to the corner to view all the new equipment. I mean, this is mainly tanks and stuff like that. And then they brought me over to where smaller, smaller firearms were held. And uh, I, I picked up one going to look at it, and there was a lot of cameramen around, and they said, you know, Willie, hold it up, hold it up. And um, much to my surprise, I was in the front page of every newspaper in the country the following day. But uh, mixed reaction, you know, so I mean, it's not, I don't think it overshadowed anything does and I, you know, I don't have any real regrets about it. You must have been surely so- shocked to see your face on the front of the paper. It was a bit of a shock, yeah, it was a bit of a shock, no question about that. It was a bit of a shock, but then again, you know, you must take these things on board in life and move on. Two years later, um, you went against the Cabinet in relation to the decision from London Heathrow Airport to seize flights from Shannon. Why, why did you make that decision? I made that decision because Limerick was, I mean, the, the Midwest were completely cut off. I mean, you know, Lingus were proposing to, uh, you know, cancel their flights to Heathrow Airport. I mean, there was huge business traffic between Ireland and the UK, and all those people I knew actually were involved in one way or another in business in the UK. And of course, then on the other hand, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people have, an awful lot of people, so most people in Limerick, I'd say, have relatives and friends and family uh, in the UK. And, uh, you know, they, their access to them would have been severely restricted by that. And I didn't think it was a good decision. And I don't think it didn't think it made, made enough sense commercially. And I think subsequent events proved me correct in that. As I mentioned there, you have went against the government a couple of times. Um, did you ever worry about losing your position in the party? Well, I did lose my position in the party one time. I mean, back in uh, back when, when, when the government lost Don Barrington's hospital, back in, oh, I can't remember what year it was now, but there was a vote in the door, and I voted against. I voted in favour of keeping the hospital open. I voted against the 
Dublin was expelled from the party for a period of 12 months. Uh, well, I was expelled for an indefinite period, but I was accepted back after 12 months. And uh, that was a that was a bit of an experience as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, you, you keep it in the back of your mind, but I suppose if you feel strongly enough about something, uh, you just got to do what you got to do. And as I mentioned before there, um, you've been in politics a long time. Did you ever consider packing in your political career? Several times, yeah, several times. I got offers of, you know, join business organisations and big accountancy firms and offers of legal work, etc. You know, you'd be tempted occasionally, but I wasn't ever really in it for the money, so I mean, that was quite, I mean, you were, we were paid very well as politicians. I mean, you, you wouldn't you wouldn't become a millionaire for, like, when you're on a PAOE salary. But, but uh, yeah, I, I, I considered it a number of times, but never, never for any great length of time. Um. You resigned as Minister for Defence in 2010, then. Um, why did you leave the role? Well, I left the role because the, 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 the Green Party, whom we were in a coalition with at the time, uh, felt that they, they, they couldn't support me, uh, that they didn't want they, they, they'd pull out a government, uh, or they possibly would have pulled out a government if I stood on as Minister for Defence. And uh, that would have created a terrible problem for the government and created great instability. So I offered my resignation to the teacher and uh, he accepted it. And why do you think the Green Party were against you? Well, because there was controversy at that time about uh, matters which I don't want to go into now, to be honest with you, but there was controversy about an, an affidavit uh, which I'd sworn in relation to a libel case where I'd made a mistake and had to correct it. And the question was, they took the view that I, you know, when I was when I was signing the affidavit, I knew that the thing was wrong. That wasn't the case. In fact, the guy was investigating it, so it wasn't the case. But that's politics, you know? Then after that, the following year, uh, Michal Martin, current Taoiseach, made you spokesperson on communications. Uh, leader as part of the Fianna Fáil campaign for the 2011 general election. Yeah, well, that was a tough election because the party was almost wiped out, you know, only 19 of us survived. And uh, so it was a tough election and uh, uh, eminently forgettable one. But nevertheless, if you look at the figures, I mean, I held my seat. My vote was down dramatically, but I held my seat quite comfortably, nevertheless, and went on from there. You were a spokesperson for numerous things, actually, as well, for the following few years. Um, I was spokesman on Enterprise, and then I moved from there to Social Protection, yeah. Why do you think um, you were appointed to these positions? Well, I suppose because they thought I could make a bit of a contribution there, you know. And uh, I like to think that I did in the sense of bringing forward legislation from the opposition benches, some of which the government accepted, and pending out, you know, what was wrong with what the government was trying to do or what they were doing in those areas, which is the job of an opposition spokesman. Um, would you be able to pinpoint your biggest achievement and disappointment in politics? My biggest disappointment was, was was having to resign as a minister, I suppose, before anything had been and subsequently been exonerated. I mean, it's like uh, it's like somebody being put on trial and been uh, executed before the trial takes place, and then the trial takes place and they're exonerated, which can't bring them back to life. You know, <laughs> that was my biggest my biggest disappointment, I suppose. You know, as a girl's achievement. Well, I, I think that you know, building up and consolidating the adult education sector and turning it into something real rather than something that was kind of the, the, the Cinderella of the education system that was probably what I look back on with most pride. 
Um, what do you think? What do you think um, changed in relation to the ad adult education sector? Well, we put it on a firm footing, and we got proper funding for it, and now it's thriving. And you know, it, it, I was looking forward, and I anticipated the advent of technology and the fact that people will have to change occupations several times in their lives, and therefore the need to go back and learn again. So, if if society is going to develop in that direction, you must have an education system which accommodates that. Um, is there any funny moments to send out over the years in the doll or elsewhere, canvassing or somewhere? Any funny moments? Yeah, what well, I suppose, um, yeah, yeah, I just can't think of any at the moment, but I'm sure there are, I'm sure there are, but I just, you know, I just, I, I just can't bring them to mind at the moment. That's okay, um, are you disappointed with, disappointed with how the government's handled the COVID-19 COVID-19 pandemic and the vaccine rollout or I am a bit, think yeah, they're doing a good job in yeah, tough times? Yeah, yeah, I think, I think, um, I think the vaccine uh, rollout has been unduly slow. I mean, my, my advice to the government was to be part of the European system, but nevertheless to go outside and try to purchase vaccines from other countries, such as some of the European countries have done, like Germany and Austria uh, and Israel, which of course is a non-European country. But I mean, uh, I think they should have done that. I mean, basically they said it would have, they would have been paying top dollar for it. Uh, but I mean, you know, when you measure the cost of the lockdown against that, I think we would actually have saved money, to be quite frank. So I'm a bit disappointed with that. Yeah, and and uh, you know, as regards the lockdown itself, well, you know, I find in the last couple of weeks, particularly the public view seems to have shifted on that. I mean, most of the people I was meeting up to a couple of weeks ago were saying, "Well, this is terrible. It's very restrictive, but we have to do it." And now people are really tired of it, you know. So the government are going to have to be a bit more innovative, I think. And what would you change about the current lockdown? Well, the first, well, I, I would have had quarantine. I would have quarantined people coming in, you know, from the beginning. Yeah. Not, not to be doing it at the very last, you know, when, when the damage is done. Um, I wouldn't have opened up to the same extent at Christmas because I think that was responsible for a big surge. And um, I, I, I would have been a bit more um, uh, specific. I mean, for example, at the moment in the construction sector, which is a vital sector with the housing shortage in the country, if we say a developer or a builder is building social houses at the moment, that can go ahead. But if somebody is building private houses, it can't. And I can't, for the life of me, I can't see the difference between the two. Um, and how have you found lockdown yourself? Have you picked up any new hobbies lately or what are you doing in your spare well, time? Well, I'm, I'm, reading, I'm reading a bit more, yeah, certainly. But you see, we're living in an era now where you're, you know, even if you're actually locked down, you're instantly accessible through, you know, Facebook, social media, emails, whatever. So I've been, I've been, I've been still quite busy. I mean, but, but I have managed to read a bit more. And of course, you know, because of the fact that I'm a TD from the area, I still have to go up to the doll every week. And uh, that, that's, uh, that takes up a bit of time as well, obviously. Yeah, and um, any books that stand out over the last couple of weeks that you've been reading? Any books that stand out over the last couple of weeks? Have been, well, I read a biography of uh, Stalin former Russian dictator uh, yeah. by uh, Simon Montefiore, very, very entertaining. And, uh, yeah, I've, I've just concluded that. Um, I read about, uh, I read Human's book on Fine Gael, Saving the State. I found that very interesting, a lot of stuff in it. I agree with a lot of stuff I disagree with. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've 
I, I sometimes I read a few old thrillers just for light entertainment. So you know, we're 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 I, I read a, a fascinating fascinating uh, uh, history book recently on on, on on the phenomenon of crime in in, in the UK in the nineteenth century. You know, highwaymen and all that sort of stuff. That was that was quite fascinating. And uh, I've read I've I've read I've kept up to date with tax and company law. I've read a few of the recent publications on tax and company law that I used to lecture in. And that has been that has been entertaining. Just one second, Rashin. Just one second. Hello? Yes. And um how do you think Mial Martin has done his T shock? Um well it's a mixed views on that, you know. And a mixed views on that. But uh, I won't elaborate. And do you think you were unlucky to never become leader of the party? No, it's a job I wouldn't particularly like, to be honest with you. Um, I never sought it, and I never would. Not too long ago, their Minister for Housing, Dara O'Brien, announced 116 million in funding for two uh, regeneration projects in Limerick. That must surely have pleased you. It did, because I've been campaigning for a long time to revitalise the city centre, and this funding was all directed at that particular purpose. So it has, it, it did please me immensely. Yeah, it's you know, it's long since, long past the time where we should have been revitalising Limerick city centre. Um, finally, just to finish up, Willie, have you any plans for the future? Or are you not looking too far forward at the moment? I'm not looking too far forward. All I'm looking forward to at the moment is the ending of this pandemic and the ability to go into a pub and drink a few pints socially. Okay, um, Willie, thanks very much for talking to me. Oshie, it's been a welcome. pleasure. More than welcome, Oshie, more than welcome. Best of luck to you again now. soon. Cheers, okay. Thank you. So that's it for another episode of Life in Politics. I hope you enjoyed it, and um, if you want to keep up to date with the podcast, you can follow it on Twitter at Life in Politics 2. And make sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcasting platform you listen to it on. Thank you.